Welcome to the Sober and Happy Podcast, where we talk about all things recovery-related, how to navigate the challenges that we'll face along the way on our journeys towards our best lives, and how we can go from living a life of simply just being sober to a life where we're both sober and happy. Today, we're going to talk about the biggest mystery in recovery that almost all of us alcoholics have tried to solve. I believe people have been trying to solve this riddle since the first time someone figured how to brew alcohol. And that mystery is, is it possible to ever be a normal drinker? So let's put on our detective hats today and get to the episode. Welcome back. Today I'm going to take you on an adventure where we will search for the elusive version of ourselves that is the normal drinker. Alcoholics have been searching for this for centuries. Some of us thought we had captured it early in our drinking until it escaped. Others have had glimpses of it when it randomly appears and disappears just as suddenly. And then there are people like me who've only heard of it but have never seen it with their own eyes. To me, being a normal drinker is a myth like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. I hear alcoholics say it was possible for them at one time, but for me, there is not even the illusion of being able to control how much I drank. That doesn't mean I didn't try to find it, though. I hear people who have been sober for a little while say, I think I'm going to try some controlled drinking. But honestly, did any of us quit drinking altogether without trying to control it first? But for some reason, a new idea will pop into our head and those gears will start turning. Sometimes we could just reword the same exact idea, convince ourselves it's a genius new idea, and try it again. At a long discussion with a friend who told me he was convinced he could drink in moderation, I reminded him that he tried controlled drinking before with disastrous results. This is different, Tim. Control is a word that's so negative. You know I hate being controlled, so I think I was just rebelling when I told myself I was going to control my drinking. Moderation is much more sophisticated. It feels like I'm making a smart choice and not being told to cut back on my drinking. As ridiculous as this idea sound, he was not hearing any of the logic and reasoning that I was trying to share. I have learned over the years that when someone has their mindset on a great idea, it is hard to sway them. So after some further discussion, I told him to let me know how the experiment goes. I knew later that night the experiment went bad. I got a call from his girlfriend asking me to come get him. He was in the front yard, hammered, arguing with the neighbors, refusing to go back in the house, and since she wouldn't give him a ride to the liquor store, he said he was going to get in his truck and drive to the store to get more alcohol. I went and got him and let him sleep it off on my couch. I was certain he had learned a good lesson. Yet the next morning, while nursing a wicked hangover, he told me that he was doing really good at the moderation thing until he decided to have a shot. Then he had his next great idea. Moderation with beer only. So why, with all of the evidence that had piled up that we can't drink normally, along with seeing so much of the damage that alcohol can cause in our lives, do we keep trying? To answer that, we have to talk about both the brain and the body. I want to warn you that I love to geek out on these kind of things and often could go down the rabbit hole on topics like this. 
I'm going to do my best to keep this discussion both informative and entertaining and try not to geek out too much on the technical parts of addiction. If that part does interest you, feel free to reach out to me and I could share a lot more. Let's start with talking about the brain. Humans gravitate towards what is familiar, even if that familiar thing is not good for us. It is why at the first sign of adversity, many people go straight back to addiction, even if they know nothing good is going to come out of it. It is the same reason that others go back to abusive and toxic relationships, and even if they leave one, often gravitate towards another one just like it. It's why many people allow family members and friends to continue to treat them poorly, stay in jobs they hate, or don't take a chance at chasing a dream. There's a reason for that, and it's called neuroplasticity. Our brains are designed in a way that when we learn or experience things, neural pathways are created. That way we could instinctively know how to do something and respond or act in the future if that same experience comes again. The more times we experience something and react the same way, the stronger the neural pathways become. Neuroplasticity is an amazing thing. It's why we don't have to learn something over and over again every time like it's the first time. If you watch an adult that never plays video games pick up a controller that has a knob and eight or so buttons, they have to think deliberately about each thing. I personally rarely play video games, so when I am playing, I'm often saying something like, uh, wait, okay, which button's the A button again? However, if you watch someone who has played video games for quite a while, what each button does and where it is located on the controller requires no thought anymore. Those neural pathways have been created and they could just do it and not have to think about it. As amazing as a brain works for learning and how to use a video game controller without thought, we can also create neural pathways that develop habits that are not healthy for us. We may learn how to deal with situations in unhealthy ways, and once those patterns are created, we default to our learned behaviors. The best description of this that I've heard was when someone described neuroplasticity as sledding down a snow-covered hill. At first, you hop on your sled, give yourself a little push, and you end up somewhere random down at the bottom of the hill. But the more times you sled down the hill, you'll start to develop grooves in the snow. Eventually, these grooves will get deeper, and once you find yourself in one of these deeper grooves, you have no choice but to ride that groove to where it is bringing you at the bottom of the hill. Often, substance abuse isn't even a new groove down that mountain. Many times, it's just a faster sled to travel down the grooves we already created. For example, one very common reason people state that they continue to use alcohol or drugs is to numb their feelings. Rarely, though, do people start the pattern of numbing feelings only after discovering alcohol and drugs. It is often that we have been trying different methods of doing that since we were little kids, but then discovered something that at the moment did a much better job. Many of us are taught to hide emotions when we are a kid. Maybe something happened we weren't supposed to talk about. Or it could be simply that we are told showing certain emotions are wrong. I grew up in a generation where it was not uncommon to have a parent tell a crying child, do you want me to give you something to cry about? To try to shut them up. Think about all the reasons you have drank in the past. To stuff down feelings, to celebrate, because it's Friday, because it is a holiday, because we are stressed, because we are sad, because something traumatic happened, because we had a bad day at work. Basically, any situation where we have uttered the words, I need a drink. 
Now, think about all the triggers when you get sober. You start feeling raw emotions. It is Friday. It is a holiday. Something traumatic happened. Basically, all of the reasons why you used to drink before have now become your triggers. What you're dealing with is those neural pathways that when this happens, I need a drink to make it feel better. So when those events do happen, your default reaction is to look for a drink. Basically, at the beginning of sobriety, you're simply sledding down the same hill that has a lifetime full of grooves. This may sound overwhelming, but I promise that you're not doomed. Here's the thing about neuroplasticity. Our brain is constantly changing, and in the same way that we have developed unhealthy habits and coping mechanisms, we create new positive neural pathways, and the old unused ones can actually disappear. So let's go back to the sledding analogy. Imagine we are in the dead of winter and it is snowing regularly. If there is a groove that we stop sledding down, eventually the snow that is falling will fill it up and we'll only go down that groove again if we recreate it. But since it is so easy to slip into one of those grooves, we have to be very deliberate at the beginning of making any change. To do this in regular life, we must have deliberate plans to make these changes. We do this by recognizing the patterns and events that lead us to want to go back to an old habit and take a different path. When dealing with addiction, this means doing things like learning new ways to deal with stress. Or if Fridays after work, all we could think about is heading to happy hour, we start looking for other things we could do to replace that habit with something else that we also enjoy. This works with any change we're trying to make in our lives, from eating healthier, to controlling our anxiety better, or not reacting in anger when things don't go our way. It isn't going to be easy. I have found myself flying down the hill in one of my old grooves before I even realized it, had to stick my feet out to stop myself, pick up my sled, and go into a different part of the hill. But even though it will take work, the good news is it is possible. Each time we choose a new path down the hill, we start to create a new groove. And every time we don't go the old way, the snow fills in the old groove a little more. Now, I know some people heard me talking about being able to develop new neural pathways and thought, hell yeah, that means I could create normal drinker pathways, right? Not so fast. The pathways we need to create are ones on how to deal with life without reverting to our old natural response of running back to our addictions. To answer the question of whether we could drink like a normal person, we have to talk about the body. Early in my sobriety, when I heard various theories and thought processes as to why alcoholics can't control their drinking, I set out on a mission to figure out why. Not because I wanted to know more about alcoholism and how it works, but because I wanted to discover a cure. I figured with all the great medical advances in the world, someone must have figured this out. In non-scientific terms, what I found out is we are screwed when it comes to alcohol. Now, quick dive into how the body metabolizes alcohol. When we consume alcohol, various enzymes in our body break down the alcohol, and the end result is a chemical called acetate, which is expelled from our body. People with alcohol use disorder, whether it be full-blown alcoholism or chronic binge drinking, metabolize alcohol differently. We do not get rid of acetate efficiently, and acetate in your body creates cravings for more acetate. Kind of like a misery likes company thing. So think back to a night of drinking. You have a drink, you instantly want more. 
The more intoxicated you get, the more you actually crave more alcohol. Then you finally get home. You're barely conscious, yet you stumble to the fridge to grab just one more. You doze off, wake up, and the first thing you do is reach for that drink. The pattern happens because of the acetate buildup in your body. With each drink, because of our body's inability to metabolize alcohol effectively, more builds up and the cravings actually increase with each drink. Think about this like running water. Most people process alcohol like a wide river. Water starts at the top and flows relatively smoothly until it reaches a lake or an ocean. Us alcoholics are more like a storm drain, and acetate is every leaf, twig, and branch that likes to clog up that storm drain. When it first starts raining, a storm drain is pretty effective, but eventually the debris start to build up and eventually gets clogged and the street gets flooded. Here's the thing about this. Some people are born with the inability to process alcohol effectively. You see this in certain ethnicities like Native Americans or Alaska Natives who are prone to this condition. It is also one of the reasons you might see alcoholism run in families, even when two siblings might be raised in completely different environments. However, you don't have to be born an alcoholic to become one. You can work hard at it, too. The more you drink, the more you damage the organs that metabolize alcohol. This is one of the reasons why alcoholism is progressive. Over time, as we damage our liver, kidneys, and pancreas, our abilities to process alcohol decreases, so the cravings when we drink actually increase. Our organs also function less effectively as we age, so time is against us too. That is why you could see someone that quits drinking for over 10 years decide to have a drink and quickly end up worse off than they were 10 years before. I started this story by admitting that I went on a quest to find the magical solution for drinking normally, but I must admit, as hard as I looked, I could not find one. And trust me, I was desperate at that time in my life, so if science or medicine had discovered one, I would have found the evidence of the study. I want to close with a story I heard a guy say once. He said, my friend is able to come home from work and have just one drink every night. I asked him, why don't you have more than just one? He told me, ah, sometimes I do, but most of the time I just want one. This man looked at me and said, I just don't get people like that. I mean, if I could control my drinking, I would drink all the time. The point of the story is, I believe even if we found a magic way to drink responsibly, we'd also find a way to take it to excess still. I know that many of you have clicked on this hoping to solve the mystery. But the only answer here is acceptance and learning to find a life that is so amazing that you no longer feel like drinking. The good news is, I know that it's possible because I am experiencing that myself. If it is something you're struggling to find or can't even imagine is possible for you, I want to help you find the same joy and happiness in your recovery that I have. And that is why I'm doing this podcast. If you're finding it helpful, please share it with someone you know who hopefully it could help also. New episodes come out each Friday, so I look forward to connecting with you next week. And as always, thank you so much for listening and keep living sober and happy.